Hey! Good to see you! See you later! You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hashtag also known as Macy's. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about the headlines and the uh, demise of the mid-priced department stores. Also, uh, just really just Macy's and their 10,000-person layoff. So let's get to it. You are listening to Entrepreneurs Podcast. That's entree, like the Spanish word for between, pre, like our prepubescent sense of humor, and nerds, like the guys around the microphone. Speaking of guys around the microphone, I'm Daniel the Retailer. And I'm Kareem the Realtor. And again, this is Entrepreneurs Podcast. So, Kareem. Daniel. I wrote an article. You're also writing a book. Well, yes. So, I decided to put it out there, uh, what I've been saying uh, all along for a long time throughout my career as a manager and just with interpersonal skills and helping people manage conflict. And really, it came down to sort of one statement, which is make them feel important. And whether you're working with people in your own family or customers or employees or vendors or the community for that matter, make them feel important is a really important thing to think about when working uh, to make people believe in themselves, to lift them up, and to make them want to work with you even better and become more profitable and more successful in all areas of your life. So with that said... I saw the headline uh, that 10,000 people were being laid off from Macy's and they're closing something like uh, 68 stores and then the limited was shutting down and it just felt like a time where I needed to talk about why those things were happening and why it should be pretty common sense on how to treat your customers, your products and your people uh, if you really want to be successful. So that's where that came from. Now I'm seeing here that they have 697 stores across the United States. Now they're they're closing basically 10% of all of their stores that they've which announced is so far. Pretty big. Well, yeah. And the thing about Macy's is that it started, you know, you've got this uh, really amazing brand in the middle of Manhattan, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, all of that. And they started buying other smaller regional department stores. These were all legacy brands. You've got uh, brands like Marshall Fields. Uh, you have uh, some other famous ones in different parts of the United States that were really uh, like Lazarus in Columbus that were icons of the city that were centers of pride. And then they're rebranding them as Macy's, watering down their product and no longer carrying the stuff that made those brands famous, instead just carrying more Macy's across everything. So they were already showing their customers that they didn't value them as individuals and just assumed everyone would just buy what Macy's was selling no matter where they were. Now, so all of these 
stores here uh, were just bought out by Macy's, like Lazarus, Marshall Fields, Goldsmiths, Davison's. Um, so what's what has their expansion process looked like? They grew through mergers and acquisitions uh, a lot less than they grew through any kind of innovation when it came to marketing or when it came to product innovation or the way that they uh, served their customers or made their employees feel good. Instead, they just kept buying more real estate. And to the point where, you know, here in Columbus, as well as other places in the country, you had a Macy's on both ends of the mall because they bought so many stores. They they bought Marshall Fields and they bought Lazarus. So like Tuttle Mall, for example, had a Macy's on one side and a Macy's on the other. And I think they're still there. They're still both open, two Macy's on either side of the building. And you have to wonder at some point, did they realize that that wasn't going to be sustainable? And the problem with being this sort of mid-price retailer is that you've got a lot of people that are going to places like TJ Maxx and uh, Marshalls and buying Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, all the stuff at 40, 50, 60% off and uh, feel like they're getting a great deal. Whereas you go to Macy's and everything is full price or it's elevated prices and then discounted and it's all this artificial sales. It just doesn't feel sincere. At TJ Maxx, you know it's a discounter. You know it's a, a you're going in there because there's deals. When you go to Macy's, everything feels like the brand is cheapened by the number of deals they were having. And there wasn't employees there to help you. I mean, it felt like the Twilight Zone, like you were walking in and there was nobody there to help you, but there's piles of clothes everywhere. I was just recently talking to a uh, Marsh, or a Macy's employee that was part of this 10,000-person layoff. And her experience this holiday was uh, sort of career-shattering for her. Her entire career, she had been a part of the Macy's brand, growing with it, making it into something um, that she felt her employees could be proud of. But she constantly felt like she was fighting against the people who were above her to give her employees the autonomy they needed to make them feel like owners of their business. And then Macy's came in and would do things like, they did this season where they had 20% off everything in the building, uh, even the full price uh, cosmetics and fragrances, stuff that never is discounted. And they still didn't make their numbers, which is one of the things, the reasons why they had to close all these stores, because they invested so much in losing money in these brands to try and bring people into the building. And it still didn't work because consumers are much smarter than you think. They remember how you treated them last season. They're not going to come back this season. So I think we need to talk about that more as a, a greater um, idea in terms of not just obviously Macy's, they're just the culprit I'm talking about this week, but what other, uh, what other brands out there are doing it well when it talks about treating the customers, the product, and the employee well in a way that makes you want to go back there again and again? Well, and it comes, it comes down to what you know as a layman. If you think of department stores or if I think of department stores and I think of customer service, I think of Nordstrom. It, they are known for their customer service. There's this very popular story about they uh, bought a store, they acquired a department store up north that used to sell tires. And when they opened their, their location, they didn't have snow tires. But the return policy is so famous because they actually accepted that return from someone who had bought it from the previous business that was in that location. So it's also um, 
as as uh, just going to touch back on make them feel important. You really get that sense most of the time that you walk into a certain department, you you walk into the men's department, you really do you get greeted by someone and on on a certain level as as far as retail experiences go, it's it's fairly genuine. Now, when we look when we look at Macy's, that's not necessarily the case. So sometimes you do get greeted. It's it doesn't sound genuine, doesn't feel genuine. Uh, but other times you just walk in there and you're in a J.C. Penny. You're just walking around. You're on your own, and uh, you you're probably better off just going into the stock room and looking for that size yourself. Yeah, I think that a lot of it comes down to. Number one, because these brands don't value their employee and their customer experience as much as they say they do, they don't invest the money in training. Employees want to be helpful, but they also uh, are going to do what they need to to maintain their job. So if the manager that is directly managing them doesn't value the customer experience or just uh, believes that servicing the customer is making sure you go up and say hi to everybody, then that's all the employee is going to do. But if you challenge those employees and say, this is the role play we need to do. Here's what th- this customer's coming in looking at. How do you approach them in a unique way that's going to sort of disarm those um, things that normal people say, which is, oh, I'm just browsing. No, I'm finding everything okay. Well, if you, if you quote, are, are just browsing, I, I'm, I don't know anybody in this day and age who just goes out shopping, just browsing. Especially in the winter. With how much time people have or don't have right now, if they show up at a building, cross its threshold, fight for parking, go across town to get there and walk in and grab a cart, they are not browsing. <laughs> they are trying to find a solution to their problem. And when they say, I'm finding everything just fine, clearly they're not because they haven't gotten it and left the store yet. So everyone who is at a store is desperately in need for help. And the way you help them is by turning off that switch that they have that is salespeople are against me and talking to them like a human. Bring yourself to work. When somebody comes into the building, you talk about what they're looking at, what they are wearing, the kids on their arm, the dog that they have in their cart, the weather outside, whatever it is. But you don't just say, "Uh, are you finding everything okay? or can I help you, or uh, how are you, or hello. Those are these terrible uh, statements and questions in retail that lead to a non-stellar customer experience. I went to the Sunglass Hut a couple weeks ago. I've never been in a Sunglass Hut before. And I walk in there, and the woman who was in there was the only customer sales person, and she was great. She said, hi, are you looking for sunglasses? Which is kind of odd, obviously, because I'm in a sunglass store. And I said, not really. I just came in with him. No, I I, I thought it was a pizza hut. I right. thought I, I got my huts mixed up. Right, right. Well, this one was the sunglass style. So anyway, she asked me what I like to normally wear. She gave me three or four pairs that she thought would look good on me. Um, she explained that two of the pairs I had were an extra deal. Um, and she uh, talked me through sort of the care of those. I didn't end up buying sunglasses that day because I tend to sit on my sunglasses and break them. But her service level and the way she was really motivated to talk about the sunglasses, the brands, what would fit my face, felt like an experience that I want to go back for. So in the future, when I'm in the market for expensive sunglasses, I might show up there. But that's the kind of experience people are looking for, something where they feel important. She saw me walking in and imagined a sign on my chest that said, make me feel important. There's a kind of a tricky um, situation here. 
my most recent sunglass hut experience was I went in and I was looking for a pair of sunglasses that fit my face. I have a large face and I found a pair that I really liked and I figured out what the model number was and then I went home and I ordered it on Amazon. So that that's called showrooming. That is a big part of why uh, retail spaces and I I assume Macy's are having a hard time creating a lot of uh, profit and revenue in their brick and mortar locations because it's so easy for us to we're, we're we've been kind of conditioned now to um, be okay with with the idea of oh I'm gonna have it shipped it's all right I'm just gonna wait a couple of days it's gonna show up at my doorstep and I'm gonna save some money so why is it a better idea for me to buy it now most of us most uh, informed shoppers are very uh, savvy and they're very good at comparison shopping everyone has a computer in their pocket you can easily find different prices and there's a lot of price matching going on at a lot of retailers right now but some people don't want to to ask for it. Some people don't want to say, oh, well, it's cheaper on Amazon, so will you? No, they'll just go home and buy it. So that kind of brings into the spotlight the importance of making them feel important and really having a genuine interaction. Now, in my book, a genuine interaction is just that. It's genuine. It, it's not you going and looking for, oh, well, what are their, what kind of shoes are they wearing? If if I meet someone and, and I work in retail, if I meet someone who's wearing really cool glasses, oh yeah, you better believe I'm going to say I love your glasses. But it has to be genuine. If someone's just wearing normal, you know, standard wire-rimmed glasses that everyone and their mother has, then that's not going to come across as genuine. Personally, that's how I deal with the, oh, I'm just browsing response because if if you think about it from a genuine point of view if someone's just browsing then what can you do for them you can improve their browsing experience because if they're browsing on their own they might miss that new product or that really cool thing that a lot of people don't know about because we just got and you can take them right over there and show them or it might just come down to giving them some information that you don't think everyone necessarily knows about the current product they're looking at. That makes that makes um, it makes it really easy to establish that you are the expert in this interaction. But it also makes it it makes it more personal. As as a consumer, I find it easier to trust in someone's recommendation when they address my wants. If I'm looking at shoes and I say I'm just browsing, they don't tell me, oh, well, hey, look at this really great suit that we have on sale. That's not, I'm not interested in that. I might be interested in a great special you have on shoe trees or some uh, shoe polish, but and I might not know that you have a two-for-one sale on cedar inserts or whatever. Right. The, but well, The employee has to add value to the experience to combat some of that showrooming or price matching behaviors. And for the employee to want to do that, you have to deal with the idea that a lot of people who go to work at department stores or in retail, it's a transitional job for them. It's it's either it's a summer job, it's a part-time job, it's just in between. They just got laid off and they're looking the it's a nurse who is moving to a different hospital in the meantime is just working here a couple of days. So how do you make it important for her? Why why does she have to put in 100% instead of do the bare minimum. And yeah, sure, it's hiring great people, but you know what? Great people already have jobs. And great people who are not passionate about retail are not going to be great in retail. That's not where your heart is. And really, passion really does come across when you're dealing with 
a stranger or an acquaintance or friend. If you're passionate about something, you can see it. You can see them recognize it in your eyes. It comes across in your voice. And it's really important to kind of identify that and support it and almost celebrate it because we want people to feel confident enough to to geek out over like a, a new jacket that they got at the LL Bean that is so cool. And they really genuinely are excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I read an article on LinkedIn recently about how uh, the CEO of LinkedIn does interviews. So he'll have you come in for an interview. And the first thing that he'll have you do is he has a whiteboard next to his desk and he'll just hand you a marker and say, okay, go up to the whiteboard and draw and explain for me something you're passionate about. And for some people, it might be something like racing cars or making beer, but for others, it might be uh, process improvements or project management. But for him, what he wants to see is how people express their passion and how they communicate that and get it across to their customers. That style of interviewing, understanding how somebody communicates when they're passionate about something is really important to understanding how you train them. And helping people be motivated to do better at their job, no matter what brought them to the job itself, is to make them feel important. I'll give you an example. So one of the roles that I have in a lot of the things that I do, one of the roles I have working for Amazon is helping to lead uh, a group of people who all work from home, don't have any coworkers next to them, and have to take customer service calls. Customer service calls for Amazon are not customers calling saying, thank you so much for uh, delivering my stuff on time. You guys are really great. Nobody searches for our phone number to tell us that. No one ever calls to say thank you. No. Um, Although sometimes they call back to say, that last person I talked to was awesome. Please find a way to get it to their manager, which is really cool uh, conversation to have. But what happens with the people I'm managing is they hear from customers that are upset or uh, they feel like they can't solve all the problems because they believe something happened because the carrier like UPS or FedEx had a problem with it and it's something we couldn't really manage. But how do you take these individual people that are all in their homes feel like a team and motivate them forward. And the way you do that is you connect them to what they're doing. You identify them as a specific individual. You call them on the phone so they hear your voice and you make them feel like the time that they get to spend with you is protected and is valued so that that when they get a chance to get a customer on the phone, they're able to make that customer feel important and valued and that their attention is completely on them. And that translates into more sales and uh, more business because that customer wants to do business with you rather than the other company where they can't get anybody to answer the phone. That's what translates into really great profits. If you look at Amazon right now, so you look at Macy's, Macy's just closed. They're saying 68, 70, you know, how many stores it might be by the end of the year, 10,000 people losing their jobs. Amazon announced yesterday they're hiring 100 thousand more full-time, full-benefit jobs within the next 18 months, which will bring our entire population of Amazon to 280,000 people, which is the size of Toledo. <laughs> now, I don't know if... Ohio, right? Not Spain. Right. <laughs> um, or Newark, New Jersey is also about 280,000 people. But when you see what happens when you take uh, great people or great jobs and you value them and you show them how to do business well. You treat the customers great, even in a very 
um, agnostic and sometimes invisible world of the internet, you take them and make them feel like personal um, champions of your business, you end up being very, very successful. And Jeff Bezos has always done things slow, steady, and right. Let's talk about just how he won Golden Globes this past, uh, you know, two weeks ago. It started in 1994. He didn't win a Golden Globe in 2015 or 2016 or 2017 uh, because he just started making movies. But in 1994... Wait, Jeff Bezos won a Golden Globe? Well, Amazon Studios, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. So Jeff Bezos bought, in 1994, uh, Amazon bought... IMDb, or 1998, imdb.com, the internet movie database. So all of a sudden, we now have access to all the data that goes into all the films that won awards, what actors were in them, everything else. So you almost are able to build a recipe for success when it comes to plot lines and how to how to make critically acclaimed films. Well, anyway, so that's 1998. And then in the early 2000s, we there's Amazon Unbox, which is where Amazon starts offering access to digital content that they don't own, just access to digital content. Then they do Amazon Prime Video, which gets called Amazon Video, which is uh, their own sort of channel of video content, and start creating their own with Amazon Studios, which was television like Transparent, which was the first Golden Globe winner for Amazon Studios, and then into um, things like Manchester by the Sea, which just won uh, Golden Globe for Casey Affleck for Best Actor uh, in the Golden Globes. And I think what's remarkable about that is that you see how he goes slow and steady. And the same thing happened with his rocket ship, Blue Origins. He started with the idea that, yeah, we want to do manned spaceflight, but I'm not going to build a spaceship and shoot somebody up there. I'm going to first see if I can build a launch pad, then see if I can build a rocket, see if I can get to suborbital space, see if I can get up to space, see if I can land the thing back down. Then we're going to start figuring out orbital or whatever from that point forward, but it's slow and steady and success, but in a way that uh, grows exponentially. Once you see the success, you move fast and quick with capitalizing on it. Once you see something that works and throughout everything he does, he's, he's been doing that. So, you know, we're looking at a guy who was packing boxes uh, 20 years ago and he's now owns a spaceship and is a billionaire and makes movies with Matt Damon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had written an article last week that I said every kid used to say he wants to be a firefighter, but I think every kid really just wants to be Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, and here's here's what I uh, think. So Amazon is projected to be number one in terms of companies that gain traction and success in 2017. And with that in mind, you have to think that Amazon is hot on your heels, brick and mortar. They really are. They're coming after you and they're doing it better. You really have to pay attention to what you're doing and improve it. Um, you have Amazon Go, which is it's insane how good that idea sounds. You you just go in, you get what you want. There's no lines, there's no checkout, and you just walk out. It's the power now, of you, you know uh, what, artificial intelligence, and and that and that means all of a sudden they can corner out every grocery store. It's going to take a while for them to get locations big enough, but it's it's coming. Who needs uh, self checkout when instead of no checkout? Yeah, you it, know what? It's called just walkout technology. And, and and you know what? When I am working at the container store and I'm doing, I'm working at the register all day, and then I go to the grocery store. I don't want to ring up my own damn groceries. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think that the the future of that idea of um, 
just walk out shopping. It is carrying on that I uh, RFID, which is these little radio frequency things. They've been talking about putting these on uh, products instead of barcodes for years because RFID can actually help you with inventory and everything else. They cost about 10 cents a piece. And obviously, if you have a big business, uh, for example, say Victoria's Secret, and you, it would cost a lot of money to put a 10 cent uh, RFID on every single penny. However, if you have a business like uh, Apple, for example, you don't have a ton of products, put an RFID on everything, then you know for sure not only how much of any product you have at any one time, but also where it is exactly in the building. And if somebody just walked out with it, and you can charge that person for walking out with it. I think what's remarkable about RFID, the biggest problem with inventory in retail stores now is they have so much inventory left over. In fact, Macy's went bankrupt uh, in the early 90s because they didn't know how much product they had. They had 30% more than they had the year before, and then they kept buying product and trying to discount product and ultimately ran themselves into bankruptcy. And it's an inventory issue. That's one of the issues where when you talk about treating your product as an important part of your business, investing in technology that's going to help you track it, being just on time, that kind of stuff is also uh, going to allow you to be ahead of the game. But retailers have known about this for 10 years. They've known about RFID technology, and everybody's been reluctant to do it, waiting for somebody else to adopt it first mm -hmm. uh, to try and drive the uh, demand for it so that it will drive the cost down. But now at less than $0.10 cents a piece, you would think for, for companies that want to operate as lean as possible to drive as high a cash flow as possible, that should be something they should be investing in as soon as they can, rather than waiting for Amazon to figure it out so that that's one more reason nobody will shop at your damn store because Amazon's already doing it. And the thing with Amazon that I think is keeping it from becoming you know, a Walmart.com is that they're taking proven concepts, but they're improving upon them. Um, one of one of my favorite shows growing up was Top Gear. You know, it's been on the BBC for 20 years. And uh, last year, there was this whole controversy where uh, one of their stars, Jeremy Clarkson, got in a fight with a producer and he punched him. And this whole thing, it, it's not important, but they they fired him and his two co-hosts, they've worked together for over 20 years. So they, you know, they left. They said, if he's leaving, we're leaving. We're we're in this together. Amazon saw an opportunity and invited them over, and now they do a show on uh, Amazon Video called Grand Tour. Now, granted, the show is a little different, but that's not my point. My point is that brought me over to Amazon Video. I'm not an early adopter in terms of new shows and original content because I'm always hesitant about, well, am I going to like it? And if it's popular, I don't want to be the one guy walking around who hates it, so I'd rather just stay away. <laughs> <laughs> now that's that's just to I'd kinda, rather have no opinion than exactly. contrary opinion. Now granted that's not where where I'm going with this, but here's what I noticed about Amazon. Now Amazon Video is their biggest competitor in my book is Netflix. It's not Hulu cuz you know what? No one wants to watch commercials. It, and if I if I'm paying a monthly streaming subscription, I don't want to watch any damn commercials. Oh well, you can you, there's an upgraded version of that. You know what? I'm out. Thank you. <laughs> so you have Netflix that's next to that. Now, what's the difference between these two? Why wouldn't Amazon just do exactly what Netflix does? They don't. And what they do is when you're watching it and you just move the cursor, you tap the screen while you're in full screen, it tells you who is in the current scene that you're watching. 
oh, who is that guy? You don't even have to exit out. You just tap on the screen and it tells you who they are. And then it it also gives you a little snippet about what they're talking about. So if it's an informational show, if they're talking about German engineering and Volkswagen in World War II, there's relevant information in the corner. Now that is amazing because you know what? All of a sudden it's interactive. All of a sudden, I'm learning a, a little bit more, and I'm seeing a guy that is really funny or really cool. I'm like, who is that guy? I just tap, and it tells me who it is. Now, that is something that no one has thought of. I personally haven't seen it done anywhere. And th- just that little thing, it makes so much sense why Amazon is doing well. Because they see like little ways to improve it. They don't, they're not trying to reinvent the, you know, the s- sliced bread. Or whatever the hell they're just trying to improve your experience, and that that translates a lot in, um, across the customers because they see, oh well, this this person, oh wait, I don't have to wait in line. Oh, they have the service where I can have stuff delivered to my house in two hours. I don't even have to leave the office if I'm busy. Oh, I there's a membership that you pay. It's fifty dollars a year, and you get free two day shipping. And guess what? You also get free. Um, Free access to our streaming service. Oh, yeah, sure. That's like <laughs> half the, the yearly membership of Costco. That's awesome. I'll do it. If you're a student, it's 50. If you're regular, it's 99. So the interesting thing about, I mean, we didn't mean for this uh, podcast to be a uh, Amazon love fest. Yeah, let's be honest. You work at Amazon. <laughs> so I think I think it comes across a little bit better than I'm the one talking about it. <laughs> Um, It'd be a little bit gross if you were just sitting here like, oh, I love Amazon. I'm excited about your experience, though, because I had no idea. I've been watching Amazon video for years, and I had no idea you could do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm immediately going home and playing (laughs) on my laptop with my Amazon video. I'm going to pull up Grand Tour because I watched one episode and liked it, but I haven't been back. So Um, listen, I think that the important thing to note is that this is just one example of how you make your products, your customers, and your employees feel important. And it pays off in uh, amazing and different ways. We've talked about conscious capitalism in the past. And ultimately, when you compare companies that believe that every stakeholder in their business is important to companies who don't, you come up with companies that have long-term, much better returns and much better dividends. And in those times when times are tough and people are pulling back their, their purse strings, they are absolutely not going to spend money at places that don't make them feel good to be there. So if you are building a brand new brick and mortar store, you have to find a way to be connected to your community, be connected to your customers, be connected to your employees, and be connected to your products in a way that makes everybody feel like they have value in your business and that they have a stake in the future of your business because that's what's going to make them come back. And it's not rocket science. You don't have to solve world hunger. It, it really just starts from the inside out. All you have to do is find good people and give them a reason to believe in your business and believe in your product or service and believe in their future with your company. And they'll do everything else. That's why the front end is so important because it either makes or breaks the business. You can have the best and biggest people in the back room running everything. But if your people facing employees, they don't give a shit about what they're doing, then all right. I mean, yeah, you're going to go bankrupt soon. Um, I know we we tend to spend a little bit, uh, a good deal of time in our episodes talking about like positive experiences and great uh examples let's do the opposite this time what's the what's your most recent um 
negative customer service experience? Are you talking to me? Yep. Um, I would say my most... No, I'm talking to the other guy in the room. Uh, okay. Um, I don't... Honestly, I don't do a lot of shopping. Um, so I don't uh, go a lot of places. You know, I work from home. I work for a company that sells things online. So when I do go out, I try to make sure it's uh, purposeful and I go to very specific places. But I would say that the recently the the bad experiences I've had have been like going to the movies, for example, because you want this sort of immersive experience. But the entire experience leading up to the moment when the movie actually starts is basically a crapshoot. Um, it's sticky floors. Uh, dirty uh, countertops, um, nasty windows behind which the people are talking to you from. Like, are they going to get knifed or shot? I mean, why are they behind, like, bulletproof glass? I still can't figure that out. Even when they're indoors. Like, I get it when you're out of doors and they need to have, like, heat. But why is there big glass <laughs> doors around the movie? To they're more protected than the people at the bank. <laughs> so anyway, so it feels very unpersonal. Not only do I not want to touch you, but I'm behind this bulletproof glass. And then you hand your ticket to somebody that doesn't know where the, the movie theater is. Then you go up there and the food is gross. It costs an insane amount of money. Or you sit in one of those, uh, you know, $17 a seat things with leather and gross that should hand you like a wet nap when you get there to wipe it down. Luckily, I bring some with me. And then you sit down, and there's that, that greasy red button to press so that they come and give you service. Oh, God. You know, I used to love Cinema Suites. Now uh, I'm just really grossed out by it. And then you get the, the people come in, and God bless them trying to help you out. But by the time your food or drinks arrive, it's halfway through the movie. And you're like, oh, I mean, I guess I could have waited and not spent three times the amount of money. And then the lights come up, and you realize how gross it is again, and your experience is ruined again. I mean, I... I have stopped wanting to watch movies out except in really cool spaces. Like the Drexel in Bexley is an incredible theater. It's now owned by a nonprofit sort of friends of the Drexel. And uh, I think it's also partnered with Catco. I could be wrong about that, but it is just brand new remodeled, very cool art deco remodel. Everything's updated, beautiful space to watch movies. And it feels like a community theater. And I think that's, what makes it my favorite place to go watch film. But they don't play Star Wars in 3D. So <laughs> sometimes I have to go to the big box AMC and be disappointed. That's interesting because I, I just thought about that recently. When you go to big chain movie theaters like AMC or whatever, uh, you know, people Regal, have in their markets, a huge part of it is you're going to see a movie that just came out. And that's, that's just kind of the main focus. But I recently went to an older theater and it reminded me of like going to the movies as a kid, you know, when you'd have the posters and like it would be kind of like cheesy and like outdated on the inside in terms of the decor. And it was very nostalgic. And I'm interested in knowing why people like moved away from that direction, because that was there was something kind of really comforting and like cool about it. Um, I have a good one for you um, with just kind of bad experiences. So. I recently wrecked my car. It was a brand new car, and I recently wrecked it. And It was wrecked so, for you by another driver. Right. So the car is in, is, uh, it's totaled, it's in the shop, and I'm driving a rental. And, and you're I having to go see a chiropractor, completely injured by this experience. <laughs> so 
I'm already having kind of a bad time. And I get a phone call from Sirius XM's marketing department going, oh, hey, uh, Mr. Kareem, it's uh, so-and-so with Sirius XM. So it looks like your uh, membership, uh, your trial membership is about to expire on your new car. So we uh, wanted to go ahead and get you uh, renewed with a new subscription for this uh, vehicle so you could continue to listen to our wonderful programming. And I just go, oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just wrecked my car. I don't really need it anymore. And she just kind of hopped right over that and kept telling me the service. <laughs> like she had a, she had a some sort of script. Because I know with telemarketing, a lot of times you have a script. And I just say, oh, I wrecked my car. I, I don't need it anymore. And she's like, oh, well, did you know that we have, uh, we can give you a special price for $20 for uh, six months. And and we have all these shows. And she spent a good 10 minutes. I'm just driving. I have it on speaker. And I'm just having her talk. And... At the end, she she just uh, says, so if you want to give me my uh, your bank information, we can go ahead and set that up. And I said, did you listen to me? <laughs> Look, I don't have a car. Right I don't now. have a car. I don't need it. And she says, well, you know, if you and I just kind of I lost it. <laughs> That's so, so if you work with customers, it's easy to kind of go into autopilot mode sometimes. But just kind of when you notice that happening, stop. Take a minute and start listening again because it's so easy to go over things like that apparently which would really kind of make you look bad and you really lose a lot of credibility afterwards when it's when you try to tell someone, oh, and we uh, we're, we really appreciate your business. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> so moral of the story is listen to your customers, pay attention, and do the right thing. This has been Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Daniel the Retailer. And I am Kareem the Realtor. Until next time.